Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hello, my money-saving comrades. My name's Graham Clark, and I'm excited to be with you again this week on the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. This is a podcast made by the Money Steppers Savings Community for the Money Stepper Savings Community. It's designed to help us all achieve the goals that we've set for the 2015 Savings Challenge and make that journey to financial freedom much more friendly and enjoyable. Are you ready? Let's get going. Active management is a zero-sum game before costs. And the winners have to win at the expense of the losers. Today's quote, which is the basis of this whole episode, is by Eugene Farmer, PhD, Nobel Laureate in Economics 2013. And it's a quote from 2013 describing active investing. Now, today's episode is going to be focused on why we at Money Stepper choose passive investing over active investing and the data behind why we do that. But Eugene Farmer sums it up nicely there. He says that active management is a zero-sum game before cost. So what he means by that is that if your returns from the market are 10%, say, on average, okay, that's the annual return from one stock market, one stock indices, could be the FTSE, could be the S&P 500, and it's 10% on average. If somebody performs at 12%, one individual person and everyone else at 10%, then someone else has to perform at 8% in order to keep the average at 10%. So he's saying that the active part of stock investing, beyond what you can just earn passively investing in the general market, is a zero-sum game. The profit from some people will equal the loss coming from the others. Can you try and beat the market? Well, to try and beat the market through active investing, you have to make sure you're on the positive side of that zero-sum game. But who are on the positive side? Well, the professionals. Usually, the people who are good at something win, and the people who aren't lose. And you might think, well, you know, I've read all the theory about stock markets, how to read balance sheets and profit and loss. I know what factors make a good CEO and what make a good company tick and I can identify good value opportunities to buy 
a share. But I would argue that if we make that into a simile, that makes you maybe a tennis coach. You know all the theory, you know exactly what to do, and actually you're pretty good at doing it. You've played tennis a lot, you've put into action all the things you can, but then that's like you rocking up and playing against Novak Djokovic, a man who plays tennis day in, day out for as many hours of the day. The simile in the market is that you might do your research, you might understand all these stocks, but you're up against a huge number of professionals in the city, from London, from New York, on Wall Street, and for everywhere else over the world who it is their job, it is their profession. They spend all day, every day trying to beat the market. So if you had to put yourself somewhere on the winners and losers scale for active management and for active investing, then even if you're quite good, you're probably still on the losing side. But we're going to go into a lot more detail of this today. I'm going to go through some examples of what passive investing and active investing look like and why for each one I choose passive investing. Why I think passive investing is better, a better option for 99.9% of people. So very briefly, we'll go back a step. What is passive investing? Well, for me, it's probably best known as buying and holding. And it's buying and holding of the entire market. Okay, so you're instead of trying to buy an individual share in Apple or an individual share in Amazon or Google or any other well-known company and then selling that when you think is right. Passive investing is simply buying everything. Okay, or at least a lot you buy If you buy the FTSE 250, for instance, you're buying all the 250 companies. If you're buying the S&P 500, you're buying the 500 of the biggest companies in America. Okay, so you should buy something like that. Usually we'll come on to it later, but usually through an ETF or a low cost index fund, a market tracking fund. And you should pay very, very low fees. Active investing, on the other hand, is trying to buy low and sell high. And it's either trying to do it yourself or paying somebody else to do it. Now, in the introduction there, we said that if you're trying to do it yourself, you're probably the tennis coach playing against Novak Djokovic. And in that case, you're probably going to be on the losing side of zero-sum game. But in the quote, it's very important. Notice that Eugene Farmer says, active management is a zero-sum game before cost. So a lot of other people actively invest by giving their money to fund managers, mutual funds, And they invest their money how they deem appropriate. And they try to beat the market. Now, some of them will. Whether they will consistently is another matter. We'll come on to that later. But the key is that the ones that do then charge you fees to do so. We've got a big section on this and it's a really important point to understand. But effectively, it's a zero-sum game before cost. By the time you've paid your cost, it's a negative-sum game. So you're more likely to lose than you are to win through active investing. So passive investing, buy and hold the entire market for the long term. Active investing, try and buy low and sell high, either the entire market or individual stocks. Pretty simple, right? Now, intuitively, when I first started thinking about investing, it would seem that active investing might be more profitable if you are very good. So if you are that person, you can push your tennis coach skills. And rather than picking to play against Novak Djokovic, you pick to play against someone who's never played tennis before, you might be able to win. All you need to do is buy low and sell high. Let's look at that from a market-wide level. And I have them before, and I'll refer to this in the show notes. So the show notes for this will be 
moneystepper.com forward slash passive investing or one word and I would really recommend you to visit the show notes this week because there's some links to other articles which are really important I have a lot of supporting data for this so the first one is an article we've written um, which is called timing the market so can you time the market in order to achieve better results and in that we looked at the FTSE 250 from 1985 until 2015. And we said, well, what about if we can create some kind of system whereby we sell every time that the market hits new highs or is X percent above new highs, and we'll buy every time the market is Y percent below previous highs. So you can set X and Y different things. We ran a number of analysis with X at 0%, so you'd sell every time the market hits the high at 5%, so you'd sell every time the market goes 5% above the high, 10%, 15%, and 20%. Equally, we did the same between 0 and 20 for every time to buy when the market is either at a high or a certain percentage below that. Now, the very best result we could get by doing X and Y since 1985 was an annualised return from the FTSE 250 of 10.3%. And this was if we set X at 15% and Y at 15%. So we said we'd buy into the market every time that it fell below 15% from the high and we'd sell in the market every time it was 15% above previous highs. And that compared to the benchmark, long-term benchmark of 8.8%. So it seems at first like you could maybe buy low and sell high. But there's some significant problems with our assumptions here. We'll say 10.3%. That's the best performance. But if you looked at the top 10 strategies, so X and Y at different percentage levels, and you took the average of the top 10 This will give you a return of 9.5%. And that's more realistic because, yes, X equal to 15 and Y equal to 15 is the best looking at historic data, but we wouldn't have known that when we started in 1985. So we might be able to do something where we perform the average of the top 10, buying low and selling high. That would give us a return of 9.5%. Next, the analysis to get to the 10.3% annual return ignored bid offer spreads and ignored transaction fees. When you add them in, that's another 0.2% off our return. So we're down to 9.3%. The next is tax, and this is a biggie. If we just put £10,000 in an ISO in the long term, straight up, we'd have to pay no tax because we leave it in there for the long term. We put it in the market tracking ETF and we'd never have to pay income tax or capital gains tax on that return. However, when we buy and sell over time, because that matter grows, when we take it out of our ISO and put it back in, we're restricted by our annual limits to how much we can earn tax-free. And over time, that becomes more and more important. And over the course of the 30 years in the analysis, it actually has 1% difference, 1 percentage point. So it brings our returns down from 9.3% down to 8.3%. And it gets worse from there. We've also not considered the missing out of dividends in our analysis. So when you're buying and selling in and out of the market, there are times where you're not investing in the market and therefore you wouldn't receive dividends. 
In our analysis on the 15% above and 15% below, you're actually out of the market for 101 out of 337 of the months analysed. And we looked in and saw that even based on 2% a year dividends, which is actually probably quite low as an estimation, you'd miss out on 0.6 percentage points in dividends each year. So that market return actually falls to 7.7% when you're trying to sell high and buy low. Finally, cash returns. We've assumed that your cash returns that you can earn when you're not in the market are 6.2%. Now, that's quite high compared to modern day in our low interest rates environments. But more importantly is that on that cash, you'd probably have to pay tax on your returns as well. So the 6.2% has a tax impact. 20% of that will assume basic tax rate payer another 1.2% off your returns. So you're looking at maybe 6.5% as your annual return if you're actively invested versus 8.8% if you just buy and hold. And they're the same thing, right? We're doing with the FTSE 250 on the ETF. We're not worried about paying a fund manager to trade for us in this example. We're not worried about individual shares. It's simply a comparison of trying to buy low and sell high the market generally. So to do so, we put a bit of effort in to get our 6.5%. We could have got 8.8%. So if you go back 30 years ago and you say we invested £10,000 on day one, in the 6.5% example, that would be worth £66,000. In the 8.8% example, it would be worth £126,000 or 90% more. So you can see there, hopefully, that even when we pick the top 10 buy low, sell high strategies, they still very much struggle to outperform buy and hold. So what about individual stocks? So many people say, okay, yep, it's difficult to sell high and buy low the market generally because of macroeconomic factors, unexpected events, all that kinds of stuff. But you might say that you are an expert stock picker, that you can identify opportunities Uh, You can see value in certain companies and you could easily spot the next Google, the Apple or Amazon or Netflix, the next big success when it comes to stock prices. And you'd know when to buy in and when to sell out. Well, let me assure you, you won't. (laughs) There's very few individuals with any kind of evidence that they are able to do this over any extended period of time. My first example of why this is the case is stock tips. Okay. So again, in the show notes, you'll find a link to another episode which discusses why you should ignore stock tips or stock picks from the newspapers, for instance. And we ran an example in there. We said in 2014, at the start of the year, you've got a £15,000 ISA allowance. Now, Money Stepper's suggestion would be to put that 100% in a Vanguard world ETF, so tracking the world markets, passively managed, 0.25% management fees, the stock ticker there, VHYL, the Vanguard High Yield World Fund. Okay, And just leave it there for the year. Don't worry about it. Easy. Takes a couple of seconds. Our alternative is to say, okay, let's be a stock picker. Rather than picking 15 ourselves, we'll leave it to people with uh, apparently more experience than us. The experts chosen from The Guardian, The Telegraph, and from This Is Money, which is the Daily Mail money section online. Money Stepper would have got an annual return of 11.7% from the Vanguard World Tracking ETF after fees. 
The Guardian, their stock picks, their five first stock picks on their website would have returned minus 3.8%. So they would have turned, if we put 1,000 in each, because we're going to have 15 in total, with 1,000 in each to get our £15,000 investment. So the £5,000 that's allocated to the Guardian would have ended up being worth 4,858. Oh dear, when the markets have gone up, the Guardian's picks have gone down. That must be a one-off, right? Let's have a look at the Telegraph, down 19.9%. Their experts managed to turn your £5,000 into 4254 Well, this is money must have done better, right? The Daily Mail, because these are experts picking these stock tips. They're not just picking randomly. They should be beating the market. Uh, surely they should be beating zero performance. Daily Mail, minus 2.7%. 4897 So between them... The three stock picks of three of the leading newspapers in the country turned your £15,000 into £14,010, an 8.8% loss. Remember, that's compared to an 11.7% positive return from just investing in the World Index. Ah, but wait, you've also got fees. Good, because when you bought those 15 stocks, you paid a transaction fee on each one, maybe at cheapest £5.95, and that's the cheapest available online at the minute, which would have added up to another £86, which have actually turned your investment to be minus 9.4% overall. Oh dear, these stock pickers have had a bad year in 2014. They were probably just unlucky, weren't they? Let's have a look at the same ones in 2013. 2013, uh, comparative went up by 14.4%. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Guardian. Well, well done this year. They managed to get a positive return, but only of 11.8%. The Telegraph did manage to outperform in 2013, 23.2%. But remember, in 2014, they were down 20%. So it seems that the Telegraph liked to take quite big gambles on their stock picks. And then Daily Mail, they were down 6.9% through their suggestions in This Is Money. On average, our experts did return a positive gain in 2013, but of 9.4% against our benchmark of 14.4%. So, these experts, these stock pickers, can't beat the market, it seems. Quite significantly in certain cases. But... Your argument might be that they're journalists or people who are just trying to sell newspapers, right? Well, yeah, that's true. But they're actually invited on as guests on that publication to try and pick the best stock picks they can. And obviously, if they do well in one year, then there might be more people might listen to them the year after and buy their newspaper as a result. So there is some benefit for them to doing well with their stock picks. But okay, I take your point. In general, they're number one goal may not be to get the best return possible. But let's look at some people who are. Let's look at the type of active investing, which is often confused as passive investing, and that's managed funds. So this is where actual professionals, the type of people like Novak Djokovic that I speak about in the tennis simile, they're people who spend their entire whole waking day analysing and researching and trying to take advantage of the market and they invest your money as well as they can to get the highest returns. It's in everybody's interest to get the highest returns they can because the better returns they can put on their advertisement, for instance, the more people are going to invest in their funds and therefore the more fees they'll receive and the more money they'll earn in the long run. So it's in everyone's interest for them to perform as well as they can. It's their job, okay? It's their raison d'etre and they still can't beat the market. There's a study performed at American University between 1970 and 2005, and it covered 355 different funds. And out of all these funds, only nine beat the market by over 2%. I am pretty sure that that nine out of 355 is luck. Over that 35-peer period, if we assumed a reasonable standard deviation, I think you'd find that 9 out of 355 will be anomalies that are that far away from the, the mean. And so the 9 that beat it are just luck. But let's imagine it's not. Let's pretend for a minute that it's skill. That these 9 fund managers are extremely skillful and they can beat the market by over 2%. Now the key there is the 2% because most of these funds charge 2% or more for their fees. And so if you take their total return minus the fees, that would then give the same as the market. So what's the problem? Let's say it's just skill. Let's say we know the nine. But in 1970, how would we have been able to identify the nine out of the 355? We'd have had to be very lucky to pick those nine. But let's say there was a way. Let's say well, there's a way of understanding who the nine would be because we can analyse their performance in the past. We can, we can decide the quality of these managers to be able to pick some of the nine. 
Well, what happens when the fund manager leaves? You might invest in, say, the Investico mutual fund, blah, blah, blah. But the fund manager who's making those decisions or his team, they might leave. People move companies, people move around. So what happens when the fund manager leaves? Your performance probably won't remain in those nine. But why is it? Why can't these fund managers beat the market by more than 2%? Well, this is the absolute key and why I think mutual funds are not a good idea for investors in the market and the whole basis of the idea why passive investing beats active investing. It's because the job of the stockbroker or fund manager is not to create as much wealth as possible, but to move as much wealth as possible, not from the markets to themselves, but from their clients to themselves. Okay? They earn, they invest your money as their client in the markets, and then they take a fee from the amount invested. Their goal isn't to maximise the returns per se, it's to maximise their profits. And their profits come from the fees that they charge you and not necessarily from the returns they obtain from the market. Why do they do it like that? And again, this gives me a really clear insight into why there's a problem with the, the strategy of mutual funds and giving your money for these companies to invest in the stock market. Let's say that these, these investors are sure that they're better than the market. Okay, They can beat the market by 2 or 3%. So they should be expecting a, a return on their money of around 10 to 15% every year on average. Now, they could loan money from banks for a fixed rate between, say, 3 and 5%. So if they invested at 3 to 5%, and they invested that money at even, say, 10 to 13%, then they would have an annual gain, the difference between those two numbers, of somewhere between 5 and 10% a year on the money they invest. But they don't do that, do they? They don't invest their money or the money they borrow. They invest your money. And instead of taking money from you on the basis of what they earn in the markets, they take a percentage of what you invest in them usually between 1% and 3% a year. Why? It's because they're guaranteed your margin whatever happens, and they know they don't have to beat the market to get that money from you. I think a very good simile is people who charge a lot of money for property courses on a specific idea around property, and they say that they can guarantee you 100% returns a year. Well, if they could do that, they would be doing that. And they would be multi-millionaires, billionaires within years because of the effect of compound interest. They wouldn't need to sell that course to you for thousands of pounds. And for me, this is exactly the same when you look at active investing and at mutual fund managers. If they were so good at investing in the market, they'd do it themselves. They'd do it with their own money or borrowed money at a fixed rate from the bank. And they'd leverage that into the markets. And very quickly, if they can earn the returns that they say they can earn... 10, 15% a year, or even more, a lot of them claim, then they'd be doing that and they'd be earning a great return from it and they'd be rich within years. They wouldn't need to work. Even more so the case comes when you look at, at penny stocks. People who say, look, my, I can invest in these penny stocks, you can earn 50% return a year. Why aren't they doing it themselves? Always think about that. Why are they trying to sell you a product and earn them money from you rather than them just investing in that themselves? 
Burton Malkiel in The Random Walk Down Wall Street. It's a great book. I'd recommend everyone reads it who invests in the market. It will really change your perception if you're currently an active investor. He goes along the same kind of lines that showed only 9 out of 355 funds beat the market. And in fact, he did a comparison of funds over a period of time against an actual chimpanzee throwing darts into the list of stocks from the newspaper. And guess who did better? Yeah, that magic stock-picking chimp won, won by a long way. It's a great book and it outlines all the reasons why and it goes, you can see lots more statistics about it in there and I'd recommend that to everyone. I'd also recommend that you go to another article which will be in the show notes on passive versus active investing. And in that, we run a real example. I'll quickly go over it now, but I I recommend you read the example because there's more details in there. And it shows how much of an impact this has. So let's imagine that our fund manager buys and sells shares all the time, but he does so and he matches the performance of the FTSE. So that's quite generous in the first place for an assumption. You start with 10 grand in 1980 as an individual. You invest it. And after that, every year, you invest another two and a half thousand pounds. That seems fairly reasonable for someone saving a lot of their salary, especially if you're doing it in your pension. Now, we invest with a fund manager, we pay 2% management fees. If we invest by ourselves passively, we pay 0.25% fees. Our passive investing goes into the FTSE 250 UCITS ETF. It tracks the performance of the FTSE 250 and charges 0.25% fees. The Fund manager gets exactly the same results as the FTSE 250 ETF, but charges you 2% fees. So you've got a 1.75% difference a year in fees. It might not sound very much. Over the course of 35 years, your final pot, if you invested yourself passively, would be £330,000. But if you invested actively, it would only be £280,000. And that's because you paid £51,000 in fees. If you take your original investment, you actually only invested £77,500. But over the course of 35 years, you almost paid all of your original investment in fees to the management company. It doesn't seem that much when you say it as a percentage, and that's how they get you. When you look at your pension statement or when you look at your investment statement each year and you see the management fees in the small print of 1% or 1.5% or 2%. You don't think it's that much. If it said 10%, it might shock you. But put that into monetary figures over the long term and how much it costs you in your lifetime and you'll start to be a little bit more shocked. So my final argument was going to be, what does Warren Buffett say? Many people regard him chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, as the king of all stock pickers. He's amazing at identifying value companies, investing in companies when they're not doing so well, and selling out when they're doing much better. Well, in a 1996 letter to his shareholders, Warren Buffett said, Most investors, both institutional and individual, will find that the best way to own common stocks is through an index fund that charges minimal fees. 18 years later, in his 2014 letter, he hasn't changed his mind. He says that his advice to the trustee of his money when he dies could not be more simple. Put 10% of the cash in the short-term government bonds 
and 90% in a very low-cost S&P 500 index funds. He says that he believes the trust's long-term results in this policy will be superior to those attained by most investors, whether they're pension funds, institutions or individuals who employ high-fee managers. So if Warren Buffett's saying it for me, game, set and match to passive investing. Now, where could you be active investing, actively investing where you don't think you are? So most people who aren't putting a lot of money into the markets, aren't thinking about the stock markets every day, might think that they're not actively investing. But I would encourage you all to look at your pensions and where you have your pensions invested. Many people think they're passively investing because they just have their money in their pensions and they're not looking at it. But when they go into those pensions, you might find that they're allocated to mutual funds, to actively managed funds. And you might be paying very high fees. So today, after this episode, I would suggest that you all get your pension forms out, either online or you request them from your HR department. And you have a look, have a review and see what fees you're actually paying and see where your funds are managed. If you're paying very high fees and you're actively managed, then I'd recommend that you think more about this episode, have a look at all our show notes and all the articles in there, and see if you still are of the opinion that you should be actively investing by the end of it. My argument, Money Stepper's argument, is that you can't beat the market. You can't beat it by picking stocks. The professionals can't beat it by picking stocks, so you as an amateur probably can't. And timing the market overall is pretty much a game of chance. And even if you win in that game of chance, you'll probably lose overall, as our analysis showed. So why bother? Just be lazy. Simply invest in long-term market tracking ETFs or long-term market tracking index funds with very, very low fees. Buy them, hold them for the very long term, and you'll find that by doing nothing, that your invested funds will turn into a very, very healthy pot when you retire or when you need those funds and it will be extremely beneficial to you in the long term. Don't mess around with the markets. Just take the return of the markets. Don't fall into the trap of paying fund managers for something you could do yourself. Right, our inspirational article for the week is a video it's something I saw on Facebook this week. It's from a gentleman called Nick Vukicic, an Australian gentleman, uh, and he has no arms or legs. And it's a video, which is about four minutes long, how he explains how he makes the most of life and how he smiles every day um, and how he lives life to the fullest. It's really quite inspirational. It's a tearjerker for sure. I'll add it into the show notes. Right. For me personally, it's been a busy couple of weeks. I'm getting married, as I've said, on the 30th next week. So there won't be a show next week. And I'm also then going on my honeymoon for three weeks. So rather than taking all of my equipment with me and spending all of my honeymoon updating results and recording podcasts, I'm actually going to take a month's break. I'll be back with you at the end of June. For your results for the submission, please still submit them for May and then submit them for June. I won't submit a summary of the results for May, like I usually do. That tends to take upwards of 10 to 12 hours to do, and so I, it's not what I particularly want to be spending my time on my honeymoon doing. Um, sorry about that. 
but I'll be back with uh, even more enthusiasm at the end of June and I'll make sure that the write-up in July for May and June is at least worth twice what it usually is. So thanks a lot. Keep talking to each other while I'm away. Um, You can do that through the comments on the latest articles or through either Facebook groups or via Twitter. And keep on pushing throughout this. We'll be up to the end of Q2 when I come back in June. So we'll be re-evaluating our goals again then to see if we can push them up higher. So I hope that everyone can keep on pushing while I'm away and I look forward to seeing you when I get back. So, even though I won't be here for the next month and a half, still, you should keep on climbing. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.